Glad that you're with us today. If you're ever in the Jackson area, please come and visit us in person. I feel like there's nothing like the physical gathering, but we're glad that you're with us this morning. We are starting our Christmas series called I Witness Christmas, Luke chapter 1, verse 1. Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us. Luke is the writer of the book of Luke. He wrote two books of the New Testament, the, the book of Luke and the book of Acts. And he's, he's saying, talking about how we've all heard of what's been fulfilled among us. That is Jesus coming. That is the Jesus showing up, the Messiah uh, showing up. He said, many have fulfilled among us just as they were handed down to us by those who were first were eyewitnesses servants of the word with this in mind since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning I too decided to write an orderly account for you most excellent Theopolis so that you may know the certainty of the things that you have been taught now Luke tells us in this account here, Luke is one of the four Gospels. It is the one Gospel that has the most intimate details about Jesus' life. The most details about his birth, about the death, burial, and the resurrection. And what he's telling us here is he, not only the things that they've heard about, but he's actually went and, and did interviews, eyewitnesses, people who knew Jesus. So Luke probably didn't know Jesus, and the book of Luke wasn't meant at the beginning to be read for congregations. It was wrote to a man, Theopolis, and we don't know the relationship between Luke and Theopolis. We know Luke was a doctor. Theopolis, maybe he worked for him, but he was writing this, this book. He says, I went and I interviewed Elizabeth. I went and interviewed Mary, the, the mother of Jesus. I, I interviewed the 12 apostles. We know that he had a relationship with them because he writes the book of Acts, and we knew that he was in their company. So it's not a stretch of an imagination. So he essentially was like a historian to go and write down the accounts of the first Christmas story and the life of Jesus. This isn't just a fairy tale. This isn't a myth. This is not not a legend. These were real events with real people. And he not only wanted to just hear about the resurrection, he wanted to, to meet the people who were actually there. Now, I, I love documentaries. My wife likes things like HGTV, which I don't understand because it's the same episode over and over different house same thing it's going to be over budget they're going to find something wrong and we're going to you know we're going to make an open concept I mean you you've you watched one you've seen them all but the thing about a documentary you 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 probably have heard of the event like I love watching like on the civil war or maybe uh watched recently a, a documentary the other day on Peacock or something that happened in the mid-2000s and all I knew about, the, I remember the event, but all I knew about it was what the media said. There were no actually interviews with, with true eyewitnesses. And so I'm sitting down and just gripping. It's one of those things that when you watch one episode, you watch the second. Like it was a binge watch, essentially. It was Wednesday, I binge watched this thing on Peacock. 
And I love like getting real eyewitness account. And all of a sudden it gave a whole nuance, a whole color, a whole way that I had not seen this story before. And it changed my perception about the event that I, that I had prejudged based on what the media had said. Can you imagine if we could sit down with Jesus's parents or with one of the apostles or one of the shepherds that seen the star in the sky around the Christmas story? Can you imagine what kind of color it would bring to the gospel? I mean, when you hear it, when we read it like this, it's abstract. It's words on a screen. But if you were to sit down and have an eyewitness account with Elizabeth, the, the mother of John the Baptist, or Zachariah, her husband, it would bring a whole new sense to the story. How many of you watched the passion, have watched the passion of Jesus? Like, okay, so didn't that give you a whole new sense of Jesus's life? Like it just made the gospels come alive. So what we're going to do for this Sunday and next Sunday with the holy imagination, we're going to watch an interview with with Elizabeth. We're going to watch an interview next week with Mary and Joseph. And then on Christmas Eve, we're going to watch another interview to get a sense more than abstract, but an interview gives us a whole new perspective. An, an interview gives us an, another nuance. So that's what we're going to do today. That's going to be the message Christmas series is interviews of those who have been there. So let's pray, and then we're going to watch an interview. Uh, just as a matter of transparency, this is an actor. We, we had no time machine. We weren't able to go back like 2,000 years ago. I was like, how did they do that? Um, so it does take an imagination, but let's pray. So, Father, I pray with a holy imagination that we would not hear the gospel or the Christmas story abstractly and treated as dates and events of history. But this is an event that is echoing through eternity, that is echoing through all the generations, that here we are 2,000 years later and people's lives are still being changed by the miraculous birth of Jesus, his death, his burial, his resurrection, God among us. And so, Father, I pray that as we listen to the words of Elizabeth, that it would grip our hearts it would give us a new perspective. It would color the gospel. It would go from black and white to color. So, Father, open our hearts to hear what we could read in Luke 1. But I pray we'd go from just reading about it but hearing it. And I pray that it brings context to our own lives. That, that Elizabeth's story would be our story. That we would see, if, if you did it for Elizabeth, you'll do it for us. If you work a miracle in Elizabeth's life, you'll work it for ours. If you use John the Baptist to be a voice for the kingdom of God, we can be a voice for the kingdom of God. And so, Father, with this prayer, we listen to her words today. In Jesus' name, amen. Elizabeth. It's a family name from Elisheba, my God is an oath. The wife of my distant relative Aaron of the priestly tribe of Levi from the Exodus. I'm a descendant of Aaron. I'm of the priestly tribe of Levi. 
I'll never be a priest, of course. I'm a woman. As you can see, women are mothers. But uh, not me. I, um, I don't have children. Yeah, I wanted children, prayed for children, but it just didn't happen. <laughs> anyway, uh, anyway, I'm Elizabeth. Did I tell you that already? How did the gospel writer, Luke, learn the tiny details of the pregnancies of both Elizabeth and Mary? There is the possibility that he learned these things from Mary herself, who was intimately acquainted with their cousin, Elizabeth. My husband's name is Zechariah. He's a priest. We live in the hill country of Judea, a region encompassing Jerusalem, Bethlehem, and Hebron. We're known as being righteous people. My husband and I try very hard to observe all the commands of the Lord. Well, it's not too hard, really. We don't have any children to distract us, push our buttons, or all the things that go along with that. And we're old, way too old to ever change that situation, you know, to have children. So it's just us. I'm not bitter, really, just a little worried. Moses wrote that if someone follows the laws, the Lord will love them and give them children. Have Zechariah and I not been good enough, faithful enough? I don't know how we could have done more. But, you know, Luke, he's a doctor. He blames our childlessness on me, like most of our society does. It's just how it is. I wish I could change it, but it's how it is. I wanted children, but I'm blamed for not having them. Anyway. Anyway, so that's us, that's me. Moving on. My husband is of the priestly division of Abijah, the eighth of 24 divisions. There's all these divisions of priests and they rotate through the duties at the temple in Jerusalem, priestly duties and such. Well, one fateful day, his division is on duty at the temple. For the first and last time in his life, my husband is chosen to offer incense at the altar. Only one priest can go into the altar only one time in his life because there are so many priests who want to do it. Well, it was more than a little harrowing as there had been previous priests instantly struck dead for violating God's commands about how to follow the rites properly. Legend has it that even if he dies, nobody can go in to get him because then they'll die. So we have this tradition of tying a rope to the leg of the priest so if the Lord kills him, he can be dragged out. Anyway, anyway, it is a big deal. And Zechariah is chosen and we're thrilled and a little nervous, but thrilled nonetheless. So as the worshipers assemble, Zechariah goes behind this massive curtain, the curtain that separates the rest of the temple from the altar, and he begins praying. <laughs> he sees an angel standing on the table, on the right side of the table. He trembles with fear. Not the angel, Zechariah. Of course, Zechariah. Zechariah trembles with fear. The angel tells him that our prayers have been answered. We will have a son. We are to name him John. People will rejoice with us. He will be great in the sight of God. He's not to ever have fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit before birth. He will turn many people to God. And this, listen to this. He is to prepare the way for the Lord by preparing the people for the Lord. Zechariah is incredulous. 
How can this be, he asked the angel, because we're so old. The angel, he's Gabriel. He reveals that he is Gabriel, the Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God. So he's been sent to tell my Zachariah the good news, which will certainly occur. Zechariah doesn't believe him, and because of his disbelief, my husband will be unable to speak until these things happen. Well, outside, the people are getting worried. Zechariah is taking so long. Is he dead? Should we pull him out? They don't. Zechariah comes out, but he can't say a word. He makes motions. The priests understand that he has seen a vision. Well, Zechariah rushes back to our house and tells me the good news, or rather, writes me the good news. I immediately become pregnant. I praise the Lord for his favor. So we live in the hill country. It's a very quiet place. My pregnancy goes easily, and we lead peaceful lives, content that we will have a special son. Six months speed by as if it were six days. I hear a knock on the door, and I welcome the person to come in. Mary comes through the door. She's my cousin, much younger than me, much. And at the sound of her voice, my baby jumps with joy. I am filled with the Holy Spirit. I begin blessing her. In my joy, I realize I'm to serve Mary, and my son is to serve the baby she will have. Well, for the next three months, Mary stays with me. Talk about a special bond. Nothing brings women closer than pregnancy and children. I believe our babies will have that same tight bond. My due date draws near. Mary goes back to her home, about 100 miles away, clearly pregnant herself, and I am thrilled for her, although she certainly has some challenges waiting for her in Nazareth. God grants me an easy birth process. My neighbors gather around the house in great joy as they share in the news that I have a son. Eight days later, they gather again for the circumcision ceremony for my child. They assume he's to be named after his father. No! I say rather strongly, he's to be called John. The crowd is uneasy. This is against tradition. Nobody in our family is named John. I insist that the child is to be named John. Surely the father will not agree, and they turn to Zechariah for his response. He still can't speak. Frustrated, he grabs a tablet and scrawls one short sentence. His name is John. Immediately, Zechariah praises God. My husband is able to speak, and he praises God. The neighbors are awestruck. They rejoice with us. The news spreads throughout all the hill country. My son John will be a special child. Over the coming weeks, the Holy Spirit reveals just how special our son will be. John is to be the one who prepares the people for the coming Messiah. He prepares the way for the coming king. Now, that phrase may not mean much to you, but it meant everything to us. In our time, the kings and emperors had complete control over their subjects' lives, life and death control. So people would do anything to please their rulers. Well, one of the few unpleasant aspects of being a wealthy and powerful ruler was traveling. Rich and poor alike had to suffer the bumps of the road, lengthy travel times, poor lodgings. If a king was known to be on his way, the people would go to great lengths to ease their travel, to please the one who had control over their lives. 
filled the holes in the road, straightened out curvy sections, flattened hilly parts, plant trees, plant shrubs, anything to make the travel more pleasant and easy. The coming Messiah must surely be more important than any earthly king. How will our son prepare the people? How will he prepare their minds and hearts? We're country people, not wise teachers in Jerusalem. Should we keep him at home and teach him or send him away to be taught? We struggle with those kinds of decisions and eventually decide to keep him at home. Of course, he doesn't spend much time in the house. That child loves the outdoors, and the wilder, the better. My dream of having a child was granted to me. A miracle, an oath fulfilled. Proud mother, yes, none prouder than me. For the Messiah will say of my son, among those born of women, none have risen any greater than John the Baptist. We have a term for the Christian calendar for this time of the year called Advent. Advent means a coming, an arrival, and the Jewish nation Israel was waiting for the arrival of the Messiah. And the prophets had prophesied about John the Baptist. Isaiah uh, and Elizabeth referenced this about the one who would come before the Messiah to prepare the way. The book of Malachi, same thing. A couple different prophecies that John the Baptist would be the one. John the Baptist and Jesus' births would always be linked for the rest of eternity. And Jesus says about John the Baptist, among those born of women, there's no one greater than him. He was the one that began to stir up hearts about an advent. And there's another coming. Jesus is going to return again one day. But the words of Jesus about John the Baptist, I think are the most powerful, is in a different part of the book of Luke. And it's Luke 16. And he says this, the law of Moses... And the revelation of the prophets have prepared for you the arrival of the kingdom realm announced by John. Now, the law of Moses is the first five books of what we call the Old Testament. And the prophets are the book of Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Micah, Malachi, Joel, all of these Old Testament books. And Jesus is saying the law of Moses and, and, the, and the, all the prophets were leading up to this arrival of a kingdom among us. Now, the kingdom of God literally means his very presence and activity among us. Not just like some realm way off in heaven that one day we would. No, we experience the kingdom of God right now. And so when John the Baptist would be preaching about this, preparing hearts, their hearts would be stirred right there in that moment. Maybe your heart's being stirred right now. But when he talks about the law of the Moses and the prophets, here's what Jesus is saying. Because Jesus said among, about himself, he said, all the scriptures were pointing to me. God guides history. This is what Jesus is saying. God guides the events of history to prepare the way of Jesus. And Jesus is the culmination of everything that we know about history. 
I mean, he split how we date time in half. Now, when I grew up and I went to school, we had a thing called B.C. and A.D., before Christ and after death. That's what they taught us. Now it's called before common era, after common era. It's essentially they wanted to take Jesus out of who split history. But Jesus was the one who split history. Does, can I get a witness on the A, B, C, A, D? Anyone remember A.D.? It used to not be common era. It used to be before Christ. If you would look that up. He splits history in half. And literally, God has guided history. Now, it's easy to think. We think about it like, what was happening when God creates the heavens and the earth? Did God make some mistake when he made Adam and Eve and then they brought in corruption? Did he not see that coming? And how about when it gets so evil and so wicked within the world, he starts over with a man named Noah? What, did, was there some mistake that he made with birth in the nation of Israel and how they, they, he gives them the promise them, but they kept falling back into brokenness? And my answer is no. God knew from the very beginning of creation, that he would send a Savior who would restore and redeem and heal. And one day there will be an advent. There is another coming. There is another arrival. Scriptures tells us that one day that God will restore all things as it should be. Everything you wanted to be true about life, uh, all, all, all pain gone, all, all wickedness gone, all trauma, every mistake you've ever made, every shame, the moment you felt not good enough, the moment you have all these regrets, all that will be eradicated when we encounter the coming of Jesus again. And John was the one to prepare this. And he's telling us, Jesus is telling us, that God is in control of history. This is not out of control. And one day it's going to wind down. No, one day Jesus is going to step out of the sky, return to the earth. Every knee shall bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. There is no other name given to humanity, given to mankind by which we must be saved. And that is his heart. He desires that none should perish, but that all of us would have everlasting life. God is in control of history. Despite of what you might think about the pandemic, despite of what you may think about the elections, there's the war going on in Ukraine. It's like, is God even paying attention? Yes. And he will come. And everything you want to be true about life, he will make happen again. He will restore. He will recreate the heavens and the earth. This is the good news. But even before then, right now, we can encounter his kingdom. On this side of heaven, we can encounter a piece of heaven. A part of the kingdom dwells within. Jesus said the kingdom is within your midst. It's within our hearts. It's within us. And it's not far from any one of us. Let's read that again. Luke 16, 16 says, The law of Moses, so this is history, and the revelation of the prophets have prepared you for the arrival of the kingdom realm announced by John the Baptist. And now... Hit the person next to you and say, and now. What this means is this is present right now. This is for you. And now, when this wonderful news of God, of God's kingdom realm is preached, people's hearts burn. Whenever you hear the Christmas story, 
Whenever you hear the message of Jesus, there's something that stirs within you. And it says, people's hearts burn with extreme passion to press in and receive it. When someone hears the good news of Jesus, that he will save your soul, he will eradicate your pain, he will give you freedom, he will give you life, and it will be life that no other can give you. No things you acquire could not give you this life. No relationship could ever give you this life. Creating your own identity could never give you this life. All the money in the world could never Never, all, the, all the accomplishments, all the success could never give you the life that Jesus wants to give you. And so when we say that, and when I talk about how God set me free from pornography, or when God had set someone else free from addiction, some drug addict, someone else got set free, they got set out of some, and you hear the stories of all how Jesus has redeemed our life, you think if God did it for them, he could do it for me. And your heart begins to burn. Because this is not just some event in history. This is true. It's not, we're not just celebrating some mythical legend. There were real, people have died for their faith. All of the apostles, with the exception of John, died. Wicked, horrible deaths. Standing on the truth that Jesus, they lived with him for three years. He did die and he rose again from the dead, therefore proving himself to be God. And if they made it up, and if it was a legend, at the point when Rome tells Peter, I'm going to crucify you upside down unless you deny Jesus. And he says, no, I think at the point of death, you would say, wait, I made it all up. There's no way this was made up. You could never describe the miraculous birth of the church itself, the Christian church, without a resurrection. You can never describe how could men die horrible deaths who walked with the man named Jesus defending the reality that they knew this man died and rose. They could not reconcile in their own mind that they could deny him. Why? Because it's true. Eyewitnesses proclaimed it. Jesus said, let's read it again. Put it back up on the screen for me. The law of Moses and the revelation of the prophets have prepared you for the arrival of the kingdom. That's God activity among you. God's realm in the room right now. Announced by John. And now, when this wonderful news of God's kingdom realm is preached, it's what's happening right now, people's hearts burn with extreme passion to press in and receive it. Number two, and this is the last thought before we pray. Everyone who desires God's kingdom can enter it. If you're here today and your life has been messed up, this is good news for you. Jesus is about to change your life. For those who can't get stuck out of your brokenness and you can't figure out your own identity, good news, Jesus can transform you. There is power in the room. There is power in the message. The salvation message of Jesus, there is power within it. I'm telling you, as a child who grew up in poverty, as a man who didn't know how to be a husband or a good father, who made bad financial choices and ended up bankrupt in my early 20s. I am telling you, Jesus can save and restore. And now, because of Jesus, my, I feel freedom. I am free from these things. They no longer grip my life. I no longer have an a a appetite for these things that have been harmful for me. And if Jesus does it for me, he can do it for you. And I hope your heart is burning right now. Because this is your mess. This is your good news. It's a true story, and it's meant for you.
God is in control of history. There's not some mistake. And we're all just here to figure it out. He's here to say, I love you, and I will save you if you want it. The way we enter the kingdom of God is through repentance. It's an old word. It's words churches don't use a whole lot anymore because we, we try to soften the message, but I can't soften it. The only way, it says he desires that none should perish. There is an eternity. When we die, the, the scriptures say that we simply step from here into eternity. And we will either spend eternity within his presence because we choose to follow him. Or we spend eternity separated from him. And he does not desire that for a single one of us. And because he gives us the freedom of choice, we get to choose. You can choose to be your own master. You can choose to walk your own way. You can choose to do your own thing. He is so loving. He can do. He does not control us. But as Dr. Phil would say, how's that working for you? Or you can choose the, the creator who created the heavens and earth and everything beauty you've ever seen in nature was by his hand. Every goodness that you've ever encountered is because he put that goodness within people. And every wickedness thing that's happened, he can redeem. This is what makes it good news. He takes what is broken and he restores. And now we have a redemptive story. You have a BC and an AC. You have a before Christ when your life was ruined and stuck in your bondage. And now you have an after Christ when life is restored and there is hope. So if you wouldn't mind, bow your heads. I want to pray for you. If you're here today, you've never made a decision to follow Jesus. I want to pray for you. I'm not going to embarrass you, but I am going to ask you to be bold and make a decision today to say yes to Jesus and to repent, which means just to simply recognize I'm broken and I need to be saved. And I know that it's going to take some power outside of me, which is God, which is Jesus, to rescue me. It is Jesus. This is the message. This is the Christmas story. This is the gospel. This is the good news. It's wonderful because it transforms your life. And maybe you're here and you're like the prodigal son that Garrett talked about last week. And you once had faith or you once said a prayer, but you've walked away. You're the prodigal son living in the pig's mire and you're feeling the return to come back, to come home. Either one of those, I want to pray for you today and give you an opportunity to give your life to the Lord. Jesus, let him save you. Let him rescue you. And watch how he starts transforming your life. I'm going to count to three, and I just want you to lift your hand. One, how you know is your heart's been burning within you. Two, you've been thinking about something saying to lift your hand. I'm here to tell you that is God pursuing you. That's not your head. That's not your own voice. That is the Holy Spirit wanting to save you. Three, quickly lift up your hand. Thank you. I see the lots of hands. Keep them up for just a moment. Father, I thank you for every, the boldness of those who just lifted their hands right now. Thank you, Jesus. We're going to say a prayer. You can put your hands down. We're going to say this as a church together. We're going to invite Jesus into your heart. And if you mean it, your life's about to change. Say this with me. Jesus, I give my life to you. Today I decide to follow Jesus. To repent of my sins. 
And I ask you to forgive me and make me a new person. I want to live for you. So transform my life by the power of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, many people just lifted their hands for Jesus.